Thank you for tuning in to Kineticast. I'm your host, Bo Sauls. Today we have Dr. Davis McAllister, who's the clinic staff doctor at Parker University, where he's the head of the sports performance pod, and Dr. McAllister is the chiropractor for the WNBA Dallas Wings. Today we discuss the assessment of basketball players at all levels utilizing the Kineticense technology. To find out more about Kineticense, go to www.kineticense.com to book your free online demo. Let's get started with episode 13, Assessing Movement in the WNBA with Dr. Davis McAllister. Doc, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm probably the best person to have on to talk about movement and basketball specifically. And you know I'm a huge basketball fan and a geek in it, so this is just going to be a fun talk for us. Awesome. All right, so why don't you kind of take us through the Dallas Wings, what you do with them, and uh, everything. We'll just kind of start there. Okay. Um, this was a uh, process that took close to a year to be able to establish a relationship with them. Uh, being able to uh, get all of the different parameters uh, worked out so that uh, we would be in a position to be able to go and, and assume care for the Dallas Wings. Uh, they had had a chiropractor previously, but uh, had not gotten what they wanted out of the care that they were getting. And so they were looking for a doctor that uh, was more familiar with sports injuries and, and sports type care. Yeah, that's very true. And that's not just a basketball thing. That's something that uh, Dr. Troy Van Beesen had mentioned to me before, too. He had said that um, he was doing really well with golfers right now, as you've seen him. Um, he's doing well because he's not just going in and looking at it the same way, like every Cairo is looking at it. Like, I'm going to adjust this joint over and over again until it gets better. He came in into it with a rehab functional movement aspect of it. And, he's, and if you watch, you can see on his Instagram and everything that he's really getting these athletes to do these exercises and strengthen different patterns and pathways to help improve these movements that they do every day. And, I, and I'm sure you incorporate that with them too a lot. Yes, absolutely. Uh, probably the biggest thing is uh, getting the trust of the trainer. Uh, we start off very, very conservative when we started up with them uh, until she was more comfortable that we really knew what we were doing. And uh, when I say we, it's because I go and then uh, the interns that I work with at the clinic also uh, accompany me to help with care of the, of the athletes. Well, that's lucky. I mean, <laughs> you know, I would when I was with you, I'd absolutely jumped all over that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. And so, they, you know, they're really excited about it. And I really think that they do appreciate the opportunity to be able to say that they're getting to uh, help care for a professional athlete before they've even graduated out of chiropractic school. I mean, you have to think they're, they're seeing how to take care of a professional team. Like they get to see what the flow looks like with multiple athletes, how to deal with different injuries, how to rehab them and how to handle these level, this level of athlete at a different level, because you have to treat them differently than you would treat someone else that walked in your door that's asking what chiropractic is. Yes, absolutely. And one of the other great things that they've got to see too is uh, the relationship that we've been able to establish with the team doctors uh, on the orthopedic side. Uh, they've been very welcoming to us. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, one of the games, uh, one of the interns actually watched the orthopedist looking at an athlete and said, you know what, I really think this is more of a chiropractic issue um, that's causing her knee problem and asked me to take a look at her. And we went through, uh, did some muscular rebalancing and of course an adjustment that was necessary and got up and the knee pain was gone yeah and awesome. you know and so for the intern to be able to see that it is possible to have great relationships with you know orthopedic doctors and and things like that so well, that's and that's big too because how many times do do students here just going through school that 
PTs and athletic trainers and all these people won't like you. You're a chiropractor. They're not going to like you. Yeah. Well, that's, I don't think that's true. I think if you go into it with that mindset, then yeah, if you go towards someone thinking they're not going to like you, they're probably not going to like you with that attitude. Yeah. So, But if you're going toward them like, hey, let's see how we can work together to help these athletes the most, that's mm-hmm. what most people are doing these jobs for anyway want to do. Yeah. It's, uh, I think that uh, one of the big problems that uh, people run into is that mentality that somebody's out there trying to make a name for themselves right. by being able to treat an athlete or uh, that type of mentality. And it's not, it's more about them than it is really taking care of the players. And so long as everybody has the same focus of taking care of the players, getting the best out of them so that they can perform well and, and obviously get out there and win games, then, you know, it's a win-win for everybody. And you do have those bad apples in every industry, so you know you have them in every... It's like you're going to have a Cairo PTAT, anybody that's going to be that way. So it's not it's not whether what profession you're in, it's just how good are you at your job. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what kind of movements are you taking these athletes through? So you're, t- you're working with the wings. Do you take, like, um, everybody through the same movements? Do you look at guards differently than centers? How, what are you doing? In all honesty, what we're doing is we're, because we're coming in right at the beginning of their season, they've already had their preseason uh, and they've already gone with their camps and they've had to make their cuts and everything else. And so uh, our exposure to them has been right when they're starting the season. A lot of what we've started doing is trying to target specific complaints that the players have. And, and then going from there, once we start getting some of these issues resolved, and of course, we've had to be able to build the trust with the trainer. Right. Um, and matter of fact, I just had a discussion with her last night uh, at the, after the game last night that she would like for us to be able to start doing more movement analysis with the players. That's awesome. Um, whereas uh, when we first set up the contract, she said that she did not want any of that. Okay. And so again, it's a trust. Yeah. Um, and she's, you know, she's trusted us enough that she's actually wanting to get under care as well. That's awesome. So, well, that's good because she's not. I mean, you have to think like it, it may have been easier, yes, for her to say just you coming on. But when it's you and interns working under your license and stuff that you are managing, she may be more nervous that these interns are going to do something. But I know I have been, <laughs> I've definitely worked under you, and I know that these interns aren't doing random stuff out there. So no, they they <laughs> they've watched very closely, and they've uh, you know had to go through pretty intense training with me before I've allowed them to be able to go out there and uh, be able to put their hands on the professional athletes. And we still have some of the athletes that uh, this is their. This is their job. This yeah. is their profession. This is their bodies that they have to depend on. And we do have some of the players that don't want anybody other than me yeah. you know, putting hands on them. No, I get uh, that completely. That's, that's paycheck. That's livelihood. That's everything there. And that's just, you know, that, and again, that's trust. So as you build, they build trust with you, mm-hmm. I'll bet you they start to build trust with those interns as well. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, so some of the things that we've gotten into uh, with the players, the most common injuries that we're seeing are uh, Achilles type issues, uh, knees, and low back. Yep. Uh, we have a couple players that have complained about some upper thoracic issues. Um, and getting into it with some of those players, it it's really has been more about muscular imbalance. Um, so when you take them through an upper functional assessment, you know, they have the anterior shoulder roll with the hands rotating in. Yep. So we, everything's pulling forward. And so everything is being, you know, uh, destabilized in the, in the back. And so we've had to go through and start working with them. And I've given them some exercises and things like that so we can start working to correct those issues, um, which is compared to the other stuff that we're dealing with in the lower part of the body, it's fairly simple. Yeah. But 
with uh, the majority of the players, there's a consistent pattern, and, and you'll see this consistent pattern with no matter what type of athlete. If they're having to stand in what we refer to as an athletic or a lifter's wedge, you know, with the knees bent and, and a slight bend at the pelvis and, you know, obviously, a, you know, a straight back and head up and that type of posture, it lends itself to uh, creating imbalances where the quads become overtight, yeah. you know, and of course the quads come up and attach to the AS uh, in the front. And so... Front of your hip for the listeners. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, it starts pulling on, on those hip bumps and pulling them forward and so you'll see some of them that have that exaggerated arch in their back because the quads are so tight that it's pulling that pelvis forward and then if you have both sides being pulled forward then you may have one side that's pulling more than the other yeah. and so now you've got both hip bones being pulled forward and a slight rotation put into it um, and so we've had to work with some of them getting in there and uh, a, got a bunch of them now to where before the game and before practices they're getting a foam roller and they're Good. they're rolling out those hip flexors and where that that uh, uh tendon attaches up there on the on the hip uh, from the quads and getting that to loosen up and then we've also had to give them some piriformis stretches and and those types of things in order to um, start working towards creating some balance and in a discussion that i had with the trainer last night and working with one of the athletes that uh, was actually experiencing some back pain at the game last night and uh, I came down out of my place and uh, to came and work with that athlete so that we could get her back out on the court and we talked about the importance of uh, breathing yeah. proper breathing and core stability uh, because one of the other things that we see is that you know they you'll start seeing some of them when they try to stop they lose their balance because they're over shifting and it's because of just a weak core uh, whether it's the you have four components you have your posterior which is most of the time is what's most over activated because those extensors are, are too tight and it's trying to compensate for uh, weak anterior and lateral chains yeah. um, and you can have somebody that has a six-pack and they still have considered a weak core because they don't engage it at because the they only looked at, they only worked out one set of the abdominals instead yes. of working out everything yeah yeah um, so, uh, one of the things that we started into is using a little bit of uh, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, DNS, and started teaching some breathing Good. and uh, get them, trying to get the athletes to, to breathe better and then start engaging that core at the same time. Well, I mean, breathing properly, I mean, you actually talked about two different podcasts that I've done. We did the <laughs> oxygen advantage with Patrick McKeown, so mm -hmm. breathing properly. Um, and being able to breathe deep through the diaphragm, but breathing through the nose, activating activate your pelvic floor, and it's going to help activate your deep core muscles. Which we know glutes, uh, core, or glutes and core are the two that you really need to stabilize yep. because those areas are the ones. If you lose that, then how can your extremities be stable if your torso and your core is not stable? Yes, absolutely. There's, so there's no way. And you're kind of talking about. You talked about rolling also, and I was going to say the Intella roller. I'm going to have to get you one of those because it has like the curves and stuff. You can actually yes. roll out the psoas and the inside the hip with those rollers. Oh, that's great. So we'll get you that too so you can bring it over there. I know Dr. K would love to get you one, so oh, <laughs> we'll do that. Great. But um, no, so we're talking about getting these athletes, and you're kind of describing like an upper cross syndrome, but 
probably exaggerated with the lifting and the different things they do yeah. and the sport they play because you think most basketball players get into a two-point position or two-point stance, excuse me, mm-hmm. and they break down into a power position, but they lumbar flex and they drop their shoulders down a lot, their mm-hmm. chest points toward the floor, and their chin comes up. So now yeah. they're putting themselves into a rounded, hyperkyphotic, then an elevate, the suboccipitals are tightening up, your lumbar's flexed, and you're not in a good power position. I mean, this is teaching them a proper overhead squat. Yeah. And how, if you can get into this overhead squat, you can put your arms anywhere. Yes. You can defend a shot, you can defend a ball, you can go for a crossover. Mm-hmm. That's a two-point breakdown power position that you need to be good in, but I see a lot of athletes where they struggle as defenders is they can't get into that power stance, they can't mm-hmm. get low enough where they can be explosive and change directions, and yeah. then it hinders them on defense and they get scored on every time. Yes. Sorry, uh, I could go on that for days. Yeah, I hate that. Yeah, that <laughs> and and there's, you know, there's a lot of restriction uh, that takes place. That they're, if, they're, if the low back is tight, and you can see the players when they're experiencing that, when they're running up and down the court, the ones that are starting to tie, uh, tighten up. Yep. Uh, the one player that we worked on in particular last night was already having some tightness, and we went through and did the stretches and everything else to get her loosened up, and she was doing fine until she came back out for the second half, and then it started tightening back up on her again. Yeah. Um, and so that's when uh, we were able to finally have a discussion with her about, okay, we've got to maintain better. Yeah. Right? You've got to start doing some things uh, to be able to keep those areas loosened up and, and be able to maintain throughout uh, the season. And of course, when there's a difference between care that you give uh, in the middle of a season versus your off-season care. Uh, really, most of the time with your in-season care, you're just trying to keep them... <laughs> keep them one piece, right? Trying to keep them in one piece. Um, you know that whatever you do is not going to last. Yeah, no you know, good. It, it probably won't even last through the next game. Yeah, exactly. But... You get about um, three days out of it and you got to start over. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we, we take... We understand that approach and... Uh, and the, the trainer works very, very well with us, and she has, she understands that. She's not expecting us to come in and fix anything. Right. Um, she's trying to provide the best care that she can for uh, the players as well, and knowing that we're all working together to, to provide that maintenance to get them through the season. Um, and it's it's been really, really uh, nice to see because uh, the Wings have won their last two games. They, they started off pretty rough, and... Uh, I mean, you know, they're starting to kind of heal up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially with the WNBA players, a lot of them don't have uh, a, a real off season. Okay. Uh, a lot of them, when they finish their season, you know, their their season in the United States goes through the summer, and then within a month, the two weeks to a month after they're done with their their United States season, they go to Europe. Yep. And they play in the WNBA over in Europe, and so they never really get an off season and a chance to recuperate and to. Uh, allow their bodies to be able to heal and be able to have somebody work with them. And I, I don't know it firsthand because I've never been over there um, as far as the care aspect for uh, players. But uh, what they're telling me is is that the care that they get over overseas is not as good as what they get here in the states. Yeah. Um, and uh, especially for what the programs provide for them. And so they, they tend to have more breakdown during the, their quote-unquote off-season. Functional fatigue. Yeah. Um, and so if you don't ever give the body a break and you don't ever take the time to rebuild and, and rehabilitate, then it's only going to last so long. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and then we're, you're also kind of getting into the difference in the WNBA and the NBA. Like yeah. the NBA, they're treated differently than the WNBA is. Yeah. Hands down. And that's why these, like, 
most of your players, I don't think I'll say for the majority of the players that you know in the NBA, mm-hmm. these guys aren't playing in different Euro leagues and like that in the summer. They're resting, they're healing. Yeah. But some of them, I will say, are because they go to play for their country because they want to play. Obviously, they want to win uh, the Olympics, win everything. Like yes. that's that's their goal. Yeah. But most of them don't do that. And think about all the NBA players that say, "No, I won't play for Team USA." Yeah. So they they heal. They're 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 here to get a championship. Like mm-hmm. Kawhi Leonard in Toronto just did. Uh, San Antonio made a huge mistake, in my opinion, on that one. But yeah. <laughs> we can go on that too. But the, again, the the females are treated differently. Yeah. So it's good to hear that they're uh, here getting very good health care because to me, we're talking about injury prevention. Um, that's what you. That's like the main thing that we can do uh, whenever an athlete's in season. Yeah. Is we try to do, be as preventative as possible. We can help these little. Uh, strains and sprains and pains kind of thing kind of go away. Yes. But the the major stuff is what we're trying to prevent. We're trying to prevent like major blowout injuries mm-hmm. and that's why we need to add these rehabs or we need to be treated certain ways or get this the these the psoas or the you know, the rectus femoris to to relax a little bit. Yeah. That we we need to get these hip flexors to relax so that people can actually stand up in these positions, not be lumbar flexed so that they're moving yes. and be able to get into the proper position. Yeah, they've got to take the time to, even though that yes, that's their strength position, um, they can't stay in that strength position for right. forever and expect to be able to continue to move uh, as well as they want to. They've got to be able to have that time to be able to stretch all that out and to uh, you know. To, to be able to free themselves up, um, and they're going to they'll actually get stronger by you know allowing them to have that recuperation and allowing them to um, be able to get loosened up. Another important thing too is also working with a strength and conditioning coach. Yep. Uh, because you can be doing things from a rehabilitative standpoint, but if the strength and conditioning coach is also doing things that's counterproductive to what you're trying to do you know oh, yeah then then you're you're really fighting a losing battle especially when you're talking upper body and then there's chest day twice a week the recovery for the patient is what's going to take the longest whenever yes. that happens because you're they're literally facilitating a muscle that's over facilitated yes so well and again we can keep going but yeah. so you talked about uh you're going to start screening the the athletes and everything one interesting thing that you could present too is when you do the cam screen it takes three minutes to go through the 12 movements and it gives you the overall dysfunction number so you take that number and you can start to see, okay, well, if this this person's been working out too much or they've been training too hard, they're normally 84 per, uh, 84% functional on the cams, mm-hmm. but they're scoring a 60. Well, now I know that I need to pull them back a little bit because they can't even do these normal positions the way they normally do them. Yes. And I can measure them and track them in three minutes. So that's something that you might be able to present to these athletic trainers. Yeah. Um, another thing, too, that... Uh is really really great with this is that if we really want to see how uh, effective certain techniques are as far as uh, components of the rehabilitation um, and you want to get a measure of how effective that one particular uh, treatment is uh, such as so we just want to work on core stability and we can see the functionality change based off of just strengthening the core yeah Uh, or if we want to you know just loosening up and the quads and then trying to strengthen the, the hamstrings and we just focus strictly on that and then we do an assessment yeah. and be able to see what the change is there yeah and then look at the fpm too so you can literally at the end of everything take them through real quick give them their fpm readout and say here's your rehab till i see you next time i want you to mobilize this this is your biggest dysfunction in movement mm-hmm. mobility and stability here i want you to work on this and you get to track and watch their overall dysfunction improvements and you get to watch their overall score improvement with the treatment and as you're saying now you have this is literally your own 
system that can test your treatments. You can yeah. test specifically what works best for these people. Yeah. Like you have, and this is not just athletes, this is everybody. Mm -hmm. You can take a person through and if they're not benefiting, you'll see them stay the same or drop, which we know you rarely stay the same. You're always on a continuum. Yes. You're never just as functional as you were or you're either more, whatever it is. Yeah. But you can actually see this change and you'll see if it's in a positive change or a negative change. And that comes to the adjusting and balance also with mm -hmm. the balance feature. We do that like uh, Dr. Rache Brennan, um, I would I had him balance whenever he said he needed to be adjusted so I tested him on his balance and then I adjusted him all the way through and I retested him on balance well it, nothing changed on the two feet but as soon as he went to the single leg and his mm -hmm. tandem was fine too but when he went to single leg he went up 15% uh, on each one that's great so but that shows like what we're doing we're yes. putting we're putting that change in there yes uh, you know and some of the other things too uh, you know we have uh, people that will always complain. This is always, uh, and I train my interns this way. There's an early indicator that you get that got some of these imbalances going on in the lower body. Is uh, players that will complain about tight hamstrings. I don't know too many people. I really, I, in all honesty, I don't know anybody who has stronger hamstrings than they do quadriceps muscles um, on the front part of the leg. And so, with that, you know, pulling and that imbalance and everything else that I was talking about earlier. You know the the hamstrings are attached to the to the uh, ischial tuberosity on the on the posterior aspect of the of the hips, and so if those hips are being translated forward and held down and locked down by by the tight quads, well, what's that going to do the hamstring? Eccentrically stretched because they're gonna they're gonna be pulling on the opposite direction. Yeah, and so what's the the perception then is is that well I have tight hamstrings. But we don't stop to think about why are those hamstrings exactly. tight. It doesn't just tighten up just because, right. you know. Uh, and so they've been able to see the difference. Uh, just an example, we had a, a baseball player that asked us to, to work with him for a couple of weeks. He was getting ready to go out and do some tryouts with the Diamondbacks. And we work with the Diamondbacks, actually. Oh, does. Yeah. oh great. Yeah. Uh, and so... Uh, we started working with this player that was getting ready to do a tryout for them as a pitcher and uh, he was having some hamstring issues uh, on his uh, on his kick leg and we didn't even touch the hamstring for the first you know few visits that right. we did all we did was work on uh, the quads and the and the uh, TFL yeah. and straighten and, and uh, stretched out the piriformis muscle and we already started seeing resolution with the hamstring. And then we had to get in there. There was a little bit of uh, fibrous uh, tissue that was building up in there. We got in there, did a little bit of graston and cleared it, uh, out. And cleared it out and broke all that up. And then uh, it was great because he told us that his average before we started working with him, he was sitting hitting around um, 86. His best was around 88. And then when he went to uh, spring camp with the Diamondbacks, he was hitting 90, 91. Jeez. This is the this is what I'm talking about. Like these treatments are making it's improving athletic performance because it's helping them move properly. Yes. Thinking about adding like something into the body that will hinder your movement or make it make you move in a different way that you normally wouldn't do it. Yeah. You're probably not going to be able to put out as much power, speed, or anything safely. Mm -hmm. So your body's not going to allow you to. Or you can try to push it, but it's just not going to have that same angle or whatever yeah. it is. So you're literally taking these people and allowing them to move better. So we also talked about uh, the interns obviously coming to help out with the team and everything like that. What what are the ways do you use the system to help educate the interns on movement assessment? We go through a series of training uh, sessions that uh, I do with the interns 
uh, where we use the KineticSense, we, we go through functional assessment by itself and getting them to be able to see the patterns of movement and they get a lot of practice with that. And then we start doing it on the KineticSense. Um, so that they can start actually being able to see, okay, I can recognize this pattern now. I got numbers that I, you know, I know where the numbers are and what the numbers mean uh, when I'm actually seeing the movement and the dysfunction in the movement. Yeah. And so, um, and obviously it's been a great marketing tool, uh, right. even though that's not the primary function of it, but it has been a, a great marketing tool for them. But, uh, you know, for them to be able to be able to go back and visualize and to be able to track the progress of their patients. Um, you can do it every visit yep. and, and it doesn't take but just, you know, a minute to go yeah. through and run them through a couple of things. You can even focus it where you don't even have to do a full uh, functional assessment, you know, head to toe. You could specify for uh, those areas that that are a problem right now. So if we got a lower body issue, then, you know, we just have them do uh, a single leg balance, double leg balance, and then uh, uh, overhead squat. Yeah. And we can actually show them the changes that are taking place. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're talking about taking these, like the movements that they're worst at and saying, well, maybe we don't do a functional movement screen every day you come in, mm -hmm. but we do look at this one movement that you're really bad at, work on the improvement there, and then after so many weeks, we do another functional movement screen, and we're like, here we go, here's our new data. This yeah. is what we go off of now. Yeah. And I think it's really cool that you're, actually teaching them the students because it's really easy to use the system let it do all its work and then take the readouts and just go off that you can do that people yeah. can but it's really cool that you're taking them through and you're taking and saying this is why this movement looks like this this is what's going on internally this is and that's really really good because i think that students need to understand that aspect because mm -hmm. now whenever they don't have their system or they're in a situation elsewhere they can actually look at somebody and see it and that's one thing that kinesense does well too is as you're screening people, you're watching functional movement assessment yes. and you're watching the transverse plane and you're watching the frontal plane and you're getting this as you do it. So just by them using the system, they're getting practice and then you're making them practice again, which that's the coaching side of you. You're yeah. literally making them practice to practice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and the other thing that's been really uh, fun to do is showing them because uh, I'll quiz them on different things. And one of the things that we did is I had somebody do a functional assessment, but when um, and so I had somebody come up and do a squat and we recorded it and I was able to pull up to where it was just a snapshot. It wasn't the video and all they had was the overhead view of the, of the bars and the movement and, and it gives you the body patterns from a top down view. Yeah. And, and so I'll have somebody come up and tell me what's the dysfunction, where was the movement, you know, uh, you know breaking down. Uh, what aberrations do we have in there just by looking at how those bars are positioned in the overhead view. That's cool. So you're making them watch the actual like transverse plane rotation and stuff like saying, hey, mm -hmm. well, as they're descending in the squat, where what was the, their major issue that caused the other uh, the other movement issues too? Yeah. That's cool. That, and again, that's the education side that needs to be there. Like People need to be able to do this stuff because I, I want you to be able to, again, you can spend three minutes. It's not that long. But it's, a, it's only like 30 seconds to look at an overhead squat and yeah. you add that in. That's easy tracking data and you can build graphs off that. Yeah. Uh, and I think probably one of the bigger uh, takeaways that I hope the interns take away from it before they graduate is uh, to be specific for every patient. Um, that they don't fall into that trap of uh, cookie cutter you know, care. Yep. Um, because I, I see so many patients and so I just do the same thing on everybody that comes through the door. 
and uh, you can really individualize your care. You can streamline the care and the assessment and be able to show the patient that we're truly making progress. And I think that you would go a whole lot further if you can show uh, objectively how they are improving by using the numbers. If, you, if you're doing the full functional assessment and they can see their score going up, yep. uh, that they know that what's happening is working. And they're going to continue to come back for care, especially when you're dealing with athletes that um, whether they're a hobby athlete or uh, or they're a professional athlete, they're going to want to continue to use that, uh, you know, that service to be able to keep them at their peak, peak performance. Yeah, no, definitely. And that's, again, it's an objective measuring system. We can do it quickly. So, I mean, you talked about streamlining it. Think about how we have to, used to have to do it. When we do movement assessment on people, it would be either very, very subjective and not thorough, or it was subjective and thorough, but there's still no way you can write everything down. Yeah. So. Well, and the, the great thing about the kineticense too is because you do have that visual feedback that you can go back and look at. You can have them do the pattern one time and be able to you know, see the, the fault in the movement versus if you don't have that recall, then you have to have them do the same movements and warm it up and you know, and they're having to do it three or four times for you and yeah. that may change the pattern just based off of um, if you're having to do it too much to where now you start having a little bit of fatigue that kicks in and the average patient that walks through the door and that's going to change their movement pattern yeah and so uh, we get you know one clear you know movement that's recorded and then they can go back and be able to pick that one apart um, without uh, introducing other you know, issues. Yeah, and then we also look at the aspect of taking these injured athletes or injured patients and trans easily transferring them into wellness because it's a great education tool. You're already using it to educate in interns and future doctors, but we can educate our patients with it by saying, like, look, you were hurt. You were not very functional because we did a functional screen when you were hurt, so you're 60%. Yeah. And then as you got better, now you're 74, but we know we should be higher than 74, so we need to keep working on this. Well, now they have seen like, yes, I was hurt in 74 and I have room for improvement. So I should be working on myself to get better, yes. which really is what we're doing is injury prevention. Yes. Because we're talking about getting them more functional to go out and move throughout life and not get hurt. And that I think that's a great way for people to use this as a wellness tool yeah. because now we, we take people, people are going to start taking control of their health care. Yeah. And that's what we want. Yeah. And, and, and there's so many levels that this could be used at too. Uh, we had the opportunity two weeks ago to go to Denton High School and uh, the strength and conditioning coach for the girls program asked us to come out and assess uh, the girls in their program. That's awesome. And we used the kineticense to do it and we're able to go back to generate reports for each of the athletes. And then uh, just yesterday we went back out there and went through the findings that we had with the coaches and the athletes. And it was about 75 uh, high school girls. That's great. That we were able to assess. And then we went through a, a class after that to be able to show, you know, this is what your movement pattern should be. Um, you know, we had them do some simple things like uh, a shuffle. You know, uh, we had them go shuffle out to midcourt and back. Good. And uh, trying to get them to understand you don't jump and bob up and down. You know, keep your head level. Keep, yeah. your, keep your knees over your toes. Don't overextend. Um, push your knees out. We're able to work on a lot of those things. And then even some of the, you know, stopping and redirecting, you can see some of them that if they try to stop and redirect, um, you know, they have a, a hard time stopping because the core is too lax. Yeah. And so we're able to make those uh, recommendations. All right, you need to start working on concentrating on 
on core strength and so we went through some core strength exercises and ended up being a really good experience overall for the athletes and for the interns to be able to go out and be able to uh, to do that and so um, just for the simple fact that they have been able to work with high school athletes and professional athletes yeah. at this point and most of them have been college athletes but it's a little bit different when you're on the actual clinical coaching and and care side of it versus on the playing side of right. it. For sure. No, definitely. And you talked about uh, looking at different movements. I wanted to talk about one more thing before we cut it off. Um, the functional module is the one that we can do where we can basically look at any movement. It can be ergonomics for work. It can be an athlete. It can be different movements that they do all the time that they need to do well. But we can break it down into three planes of motion and look at all the planes. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about doing the shuffle step. Well, this is a great tool to take these players through just their normal motions like even giving them a basketball and telling them to get down dribble do crossovers yeah. now we're talking about looking at how they're stabilizing and frontal and transverse plane then we do a jump shot well look if you're not square you're rotating you're turning yeah. like this is the stuff that you can take out and you can start to make these players healthier and so they don't get hurt because the main goal is staying healthy yeah. and so if we can do this and measure all this and three planes of motion then it's really easy for these players to learn it because that real-time biofeedback so yeah. they can take all this data and everything they're looking at, and like, hey, I went and like a two-footed, two-footed jumper versus one-footed jumper. I'm, I, my knees are moving too much. I'm not square. I'm not staying square parallel. I'm rotating and turning before I jump. Yeah. This is all stuff you get to work on. And and you know, and I know we're talking about more about basketball today, but uh, when we went out and assessed uh, the girls for uh, Denton High School, one of the things that we did was we looked at volleyball players. And we looked at softball players, and yeah. we had we had two cameras set up. We had a side view and a front view, and we had them go through sort of the power hitters. We you know had somebody that was tossing ball up and had them go through the progression yeah. of, of a strike, um, and even just jumping, so we could watch their landing and how they're taking off and and look for imbalances there. And then with the softball players, we uh, had them uh, go through and actually swing at a ball that was being thrown at them. Um, and uh, trying to pick up their movement patterns in that to see if we have a proper prog progression and then uh, going through their throwing motions and seeing if they're using you know their whole body are they really engaging their core when they're going through these yeah. uh, movements versus you know throwing their shoulder out same thing with a volleyball player you can throw your shoulder out if you don't you know use everything that you can with it and so we've been able to use the kineticense to film this and be able to get those patterns down, be able to break that down and then come back and show them and say, look, this is what you need to fix. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Denton High School loves having you bring a biomechanics lab and setting it down saying, here you go, here's all your data. Yeah. Because what, what was the other option before? Only elite level, level athletes or someone looking for a D1 scholarship was gonna be taken through a Vicon system or anything like that, yeah. or a pro. That's the only time you'd ever have that happen. Yeah. Now we have the ability to do that at their at their on their own court on yeah. the own volleyball court or on the field for softball wherever yeah. yeah the mobility is just awesome to be able to go and set up and say all right here we are let's get it done yeah. and uh, not have to uh, force a, a large group of people to come to your facility or set uh, up wearables and stuff like that too yes. because geez the wearables because yeah, you don't put them in the right spot not the right measurement yeah. and you have to set up each athlete so i mean that's Stressful and so yeah, or the there was one system at one point in time where you had to put the little balls on them Yeah, uh, and stick the balls to the certain specific joints on the body to for it to be able to track 
Um, this one, it just it automatically does it for you. Yeah, so. that's great. Well, Doc, thank you for coming out and joining us. I'm going to find more subjects to have you on here again, like always, because I think yeah. we have good talks, and I know people really enjoy the sports talks and talking about movement and sports, so mm-hmm. I'll ask around. We'll get another another topic for us, see what people are interested in, and get you back on. Sounds great. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks, Doc. Thank you for listening to episode 13. Dr. McAllister shed some light on the utilization of the kineticence technology, as well as working with pro basketball players. Movement education is important for all levels, and it's especially important if your livelihood is at stake. This is why we said injury prevention was so important in what we do during season for these athletes. If what you do is move, you want to have a system that can actually tell you where your biggest faults in movement are. For more information on Kineticense, you can go to www.kineticense.com and you can book a free online demo. On the next episode, we have Dr. Ed LaCara joining us to talk about blood flow restriction and how utilizing it during rehab can benefit patients. Blood flow restriction allows you to recreate heavy load just using bands and lightweight work. I'm your host, Bo Sauls. Let's keep learning about movement, performance, and rehab together.